Today is All Saints Day, which historically is a time for Christian people to go and visit graveyards and cemeteries and remember all of the people who have passed on before us into the presence of God. Now, the book of Hebrews describes them as a great cloud of witnesses. And if you ever Google like cloud of witnesses or Hebrews 11 and 12, you see these little pictures of saints sort of peering over the top of the clouds and they're watching you. They're like God's security system, the eye in the sky, the big brother. And it's kind of funny, really, but, but the more I think about this image of a great cloud of witnesses, the more, the more I'm struck by how, how real it is. Like, like my dad died this summer, and I think, well, now he's part of this great cloud of witnesses. Like he's, he's watching me. When I think of my dad, I think of his virtues, I think of his, his remarkable gifts and abilities, the legacy that he leaves behind, and, and now I, I live with this sense of dad looking down. And of course, not just my dad. I remember a good friend of mine, Randy Schaefer, one of the pastors that was on staff here many years ago. He passed away from cancer. I think Randy's part of my cloud of witnesses. Randy's looking down, he's watching me. And there's something about, about knowing you're being watched that makes you want to do better. Makes you want to be better. Like you think about a high school football game. If you're out there on the field and you're playing, you're going to play to the best of your ability. I mean, nobody sandbags it through a game. You want to give it your all. But, but if somebody really important to you, like a girl wearing your jersey or your dad or, or, or maybe a, a Big Ten scout, if somebody really important to you shows up at the game, you discover you got a whole other level of intensity, of fitness, of grit and determination. How much more, if that's the way we respond to, you know, girls and dads and scouts, how much more ought we to live and to aspire to live to our utmost when we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not just from our own lives, but from the great breadth of Christian history and tradition. Like I think about uh, E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary. He went to India. He's got a really cool story because he, he went to India, which is a, a Hindu country, and Hindus worship in ashrams. And ashrams are meditation centers. They like, look like little temples. You know, they're usually filled with, with Hindu gods, so these really demon-y-looking, spooky statues. You know? And E. Stanley Jones, he went to India, and he looked at the ashrams, and he said, you know what? Rather than doing what all the other missionaries are doing and judging the ashrams, I'm going to start a Christian ashram a Christian meditation center where people come and instead of communing with, you know, Kali or the whoever, they're, they're going to commune with Jesus Christ. And so he started the new Christian ashram movement. E. Stanley Jones is in my great cloud of witnesses. I, I think differently about how to love and serve other people because I know in some, in some sense that I don't fully understand but that I take on faith. In some sense, E. Stanley Jones is watching me. What Desmond Tutu? Bishop in Johannesburg. A black man who suffered deeply under the apartheid regime in South Africa, who, who led the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. He's still alive, by the way, so maybe he's not totally in my cloud, but I still think of his example, his model, and I go, man, here's a guy who is forgiving not, not only the individuals who oppressed and who hurt him, but the governmental regime. He's working to, to redeem and to restore, not to tear down and to point fingers. The, the, these, this is my spiritual family. Well, what about the, the hundreds of thousands of Christian martyrs from communist China to communist Russia to imperial Japan to, to, to people who were killed for their faith in Switzerland, in France, in Germany? 
all the way back through in, in, in the, the Middle East, still happening today. Pe- people who are willing to die for their faith in Jesus. I think these people are watching me. They're watching you. And because they're watching us, we ought to, we ought to be worthy of being watched. Because right now, we're living in, in tricky times, right? But you know, this isn't the first pandemic the church has ever endured, and it won't be the last. This isn't the first time of political or civil unrest the church has ever endured, and it won't be the last. We look back at our spiritual ancestors for hope and inspiration. Will our spiritual descendants look back at us and find hope? Or would they go, man, they were tired and sad. Must have sucked to have been them. I'm looking to do better. I got to do better. Because I'm surrounded, like Hebrews says in chapter 12, by a great cloud of witnesses. By a cloud of great witnesses. So that's what I want to talk about today. Because it's all saints day. It's what you're supposed to talk about. And maybe we don't talk about it enough. Because maybe we're not reminded as often as we need to be. Hebrews 11. By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now, you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel and kills him. God gets mad at Cain, punishes Cain. Cain is forced to leave the land of God's promise, start a town all on his own. That's the story that we know. It's not the whole story, though. I mean, we sort of skip to the end, the murder bit, the judgment bit. But before there was ever the murder, there was an offering. See, we're told that Abel looked in the, after the fields and Cain was a hunter and a, and, a, and a herdsman. And the time came for the two brothers to present an offering to God. We don't know why it was the time. It just was. We don't know if this was their first offering. We just know they were given one. And, and, and Abel brings an abundant, I mean, a super generous offering of the absolute best of all that he has to offer. More than he should have, more than was expected, better than what was anticipated. Cain brings a crappy offering, some sick old goats covered in spots, diseased, probably hair lip. I was going to go on about ugly animals, but I realized that I'd ran out of church words I could use. So God rejects Cain's offering. Why? Because he he did nothing. It's garbage. How many times do we bring garbage to God? How many times we bring garbage to God? Garbage, you know, that we, we do, we, we read our Bible or we pray when we can barely stay awake. We, we don't give our, our, our tithes, we give our tip. We don't serve at our church. Sometimes we show up and think we're doing the church a favor. Come on. How many times do we give absolute garbage to God? And then when God says, bro, this doesn't count, we go, what? That's my translation. We get murder in our heart because we gave God short shrift in the first place and we're embarrassed that we got called on it. That's the beginning part of the story. But Abel, no, out of the well, out of the deep gratitude and affection he has for God, out of his heart, pours forth this super generous offering. Abel is in your cloud of witnesses. He's watching you. He's watching you in your interactions with your church. He's watching you in your interactions with your family, with your neighborhood. He's watching you. Saying, 
What's in your heart, man? What is pouring forth out of you? Scripture goes on. By faith, Noah, oh, pardon me, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, nor was he found because God had taken him. You know the story of Enoch? Far less popular story. Really weird story. Therefore, it's one of my favorites. Enoch shows up in like maybe 20 verses in the whole Bible. A couple verses in Genesis. He shows up quoted in Peter and in Jude, but not from the Bible. Enoch wrote a bunch of other books, what we call non-canonical literature, meaning stuff that's not in the Bible. And it was, it was uh, full of spooky nonsense, so we call it esoteric literature or deuterocanonical literature. All these fancy terms, it just means spooky crap. It's the ghost stories of, of the Bible. But Peter read them and quoted them in the Bible. Jude read them and quoted them in the Bible. So he's authoritative because he's in the Bible. And he's weird. He was so righteous. He was so understanding that God granted Enoch the ability to judge the angels. Now, how holy do you have to be? How spiritual do you have to be to judge the angels? Pro tip, you're not spiritual enough. <laughs> and then we're told that he never died, that instead he was translated. That's the, that's the Hebrew. He was translated from this life to the next, from the physical reality to the supernatural reality, translated from English to angel. Enoch is in your cloud of witnesses. He's watching you. Like every time you pretend the supernatural world doesn't affect your life, Enoch's watching you. Every time you pretend that all there is is meat and money, he's watching you, man. Because there's more to this life than what you can measure and what you can quantify. Like, can you really measure or quantify love? Can you see love? You can see manifestations of it, but you can't, you can't see the thing itself. It's invisible. Ergo, it's spiritual and powerful. Enoch's in your cloud of witnesses. He's watching you. Now, before Enoch was taken away, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever wants to draw near to God has to believe that God exists. That makes good sense. And that God rewards those who seek him. Now, I'd wager that most of you have at least a tacit belief in God. But I'd also wager that most of us struggle with believing that God rewards us for seeking him. We tend to think that God rewards us for doing what's right. We tend to think that God rewards us for getting things figured out and coming out on top spiritually. Oh, I prayed 10 hours this week. As long as you count the hours I was sleeping. But what Hebrews says is that God rewards those who seek, who try, who, who try. Now, my, famous, my favorite Christian writer outside of the, the Bible is an American monk named Thomas Merton. He's an activist and a poet from Kentucky, died in the 70s. Thomas Merton, in his, his most famous work, said, my Lord God, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I have no idea where I'm going. For I cannot see the road ahead. Now, this is a guy I can relate to. A guy who goes, I don't know what the crap is going on. This is a hero for our time. And later in the same poem, he says, but I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all I do. See, Merton had a right because he's paraphrasing Hebrews. 
The desire to please God does in fact please God. Even if you don't get it right, even if you're not perfect, the fact that the orientation of your heart is devoted to God is enough to bring God holy pleasure. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as of yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You know the story of Noah and the big boat. God looks down at the world, and it's so awful. Scripture says, the Lord God grieved that he ever made people. It's amazing to me that God is looking down in heaven, looking down from heaven right now going, no, no, I still feel pretty good about these guys right now in 2020. Can you imagine how bad they were way back then that he was like, oh, geez, give me, give me some of the good old days like 2020. That'd be fine. <laughs> it's so bad. God was, was grieved that he ever made human beings. So he said, I'm going to start over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe everybody out. I'm going to give the planet a bath. Noah, I want you to take care of the people. I want you to take care of the animals. Noah loads everybody up onto this giant boat. He mistakenly puts the unicorns on the same deck as the tigers. That's the end of those guys. And then he sets sail. Some three, four months later, he hits dry land. Everybody gets off the boat. And then Noah is awful. I mean, Noah, prior to the boat, he was okay. Noah on the boat, he was okay. Noah gets off the boat, totally filthy pervert. Just a straight weirdo. Which is a good reminder for you and me that we're not the first imperfect people imperfectly following God. God uses screw-ups. Noah was a person of remarkable insight, foresight, and obedience, mostly. He's in your cloud, man. He's watching you. See, earlier, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Abel's life still speaks. You know what he means? When we recount the stories of Abel and Enoch and Noah, when we remember what happened to them, when we remember who they were and what they did, we're challenged to do what they did well and to avoid what they did poorly. <coughs> One more character from Hebrews 11. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he followed God even though he didn't know where he was going. Man, we, we, we got to have it all figured out, right? Lord, I want to know what happens in three months. I want to know what happens in six months. I want to know what happens in three to five years. I want to know what happens in 10 to 20 years. I got some ideas, Lord. If you just look at my notes, I can think you can see it's all in my proposal. Put it on your desk earlier today. That's not how God works. Step by step, God reveals his purposes and plans to us at a maddening pace. That's the life of faith. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was, we're told it was going to be the person through whom all the nations of the world were blessed. Abraham, we're told, would be the father to many nations, a father of all, that his descendants would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the star in the skies. Abraham becomes a, a father to us all. That's why we sing the song, Father Abraham. I mean, li literally 10,000 years later, we're singing or whatever it is, yeah, a bunch of years later, this many years later, we're singing songs about Abraham, Abraham, the first patriarch, the first father of many. 
Now, uh, there's a whole bunch of other names in, in Hebrews 11, but I just want to stop there m- mostly for time. I'm just reminding you, th- these people are watching you. And, and not, not just them. I mean, we're supposed to learn from them. We're supposed to be inspired by them. We're supposed to be taught by them. We're supposed to be mentored by them, by their memory. Not just them, but also historical people, but also people in our own church, people in our own lives right now. Like, like I bet right now you got somebody in your life who is generous and exquisitely righteous in the same way that Abel was. Who doesn't do things out of obligation, but out of great love. Like a, a friend of mine lost his wife uh, earlier this year. And, and he had to bury her. Had her cremated. But he didn't, he didn't get her a, a tombstone or a headstone. He didn't get her a burial plot. He made her a wall. So he, they, they live on an island. He had her, her favorite stones called from the island. And those stones were, were laid out in the shape of a tree. He made a sculpture of a tree and built the wall around the tree. This huge wall, sometimes called an Ebenezer, like a memorial wall, is at the beginning of their driveway. So as you come into their house, you go to drive by his wife's memorial. Now in that memorial, there's two alcoves where her ashes were blown into glass sculptures of her two favorite birds. And there's a bookshelf in the wall with all of her favorite books. Now, this is not an obligatory burial. This is a super abundant gesture of love and affection. This makes every other burial look really cheap. Like, I want to go up and dig all my dead relatives out and start over again. You get a wall and you get a wall. and But it's just it's so, it's just so exquisite, it's so generous, it's so lavish. It's so loving. You got anybody in your life that shows you how to love like that? Shows you how to give like that? I bet you do. Now, you might have to think about it. You might have to search them out, but that's, that's why we're urging you to do just that today. Or maybe you got somebody in your life like uh, Enoch, somebody who really understands the spiritual life. Maybe you keep those people at arm's length because they're a little too kooky for you at times, but, but maybe you need to learn from them. Maybe you got somebody in your life like Noah who has foresight and insight about the future. Now, maybe they're not perfect, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn. Maybe you got somebody in your life like Abraham who's a father figure to you, who gives you a sense of, of legacy that allows you to get caught up in a sense of destiny. See, friends, you and I have everything we need for the ongoing maturation and development of our souls. And too often we're waiting for somebody else to, like, adopt us. Oh, I'd really like a mentor. Yeah? Who have you asked to mentor you? Well, no one. What did you think was going to happen? I thought they would come alongside me. Do you understand how creepy that is? Like, what old man is going to come up to a young man, put his arm around him and say, you want to learn how to shave, son? I mean, that, like, that's creepy. The only way you get a mentor is when you develop a relationship with somebody who's a few steps ahead of you. And that's on you. That's on you. The development of your soul is on you. The maturation of your Christian life, it's, it's on you. And, and I, I, I would wager to say that you, like me, are not 
totally developed just yet. Like maybe there's still some growing we got to do. Maybe the people who come after us aren't quite singing our praises just yet. Maybe we're not yet stepping out in the faith to which we are called. Maybe we are not yet demonstrating love to the degree that we hope. So friends, let's take today, this day, where we look back, to also look in and look ahead. Let's take this opportunity to grow and live lives worth remembering. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for the many examples you have given us showing us what it means to be faithful, to be honorable, to be virtuous, to be spiritual, to be insightful. And God, we pray that you'd help us understand more and more and more what changes we need to make to increasingly please you and inspire hope in others. We ask God that you'd continue to shape us and reform us, to refuel us by the power of your spirit so that we keep going on and on and on in greater acts of love and service for you and with you. These things we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.